please, uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. First chapter of Ephesians. And we just want to read uh, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then, actually, we should read verse 5 and 6, just preceding that. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. According to the riches of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Grace is one of the grandest themes in the New Testament. It was a truth that the Apostle Paul was uh, particularly close to his heart. Matthew and Mark actually never use the word grace. Uh, John only uses it four times. Luke uses it eight times in his gospel and 16 times in the book of Acts, which he wrote. However, the Apostle Paul so loved this word that he used it over 100 times. And of course, it's not hard to understand why. Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was a dyed-in-the-wool, card-carrying Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, who had little understanding of grace. And once Paul got converted... Uh, then God opened his eyes and he saw grace in a way that he had never ever seen before and it's something that became much uh, a part of his uh, daily preaching. Uh, the word grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And charis, as a Greek word, had various uh, shades and flavors of meaning. As far back as Homer, it meant sweetness and attractiveness. Uh, then it came to mean favor and goodwill and loving kindness, especially from uh, a master to a slave or a king to his subjects, uh, from someone to their inferior. And so in the Old Testament, uh, the equivalent uh, simply just meant God's favor towards man. But then in the New Testament days, the church began to use it, and as Thayer says, preeminently of that kindness by which God bestows favors upon even the ill-deserving and grants to sinners the pardon of their offenses and bids them accept eternal salvation through Christ. And so the word grace, charis, uh, became a popular word uh, in the church, and particularly, as I said, with the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you ever noticed or not, but if you read Paul's epistles, his letters, uh, you'll see that he always uh, uh, prefaces them. He greets those to whom he's writing to with 
uh, the words uh, grace and peace be unto you. And the reason why he always used those two terms, grace and peace be unto you, is because he was conscious, he was writing, in effect, to two audiences, a Greek audience and a Jewish audience. And of course, uh, uh, charis was a, a Greek greeting. Whenever Greeks would meet each other, they would say charis uh, to each other. And uh, what it really was is I greet you with favor, grace. I greet you with favor. Two Jews meeting, as they would even today to this day, would say shalom, peace. I greet you with peace, shalom, with prosperity, with blessing. And, uh, and so that's the reason why Paul uh, wrote those words in his epistles. The only exception to that, of course, was when he was writing to two pastors, Timothy and Titus, and he adds the term uh, mercy between grace and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace uh, to you. And so grace, as far as Paul preached, was God's undeserved favor towards us. And Paul sums the term up beautifully in Ephesians 2 and 7 when he writes, God's kindness to us through Christ Jesus. That's a lovely phrase, isn't it? God's kindness to us through Christ Jesus. God expressing himself in kindness and acts of kindness and compassion through his son Jesus. The apostle rightly and he primarily associates this little word charis with salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, not of works, so that none of us can boast. Where would any of us be today without the grace of God? God came to us in our fallen, hopeless, helpless state, and he showered us with his most marvelous and amazing grace. I'm sure that all of us has heard the statement before, you've made your bed, now lie in it. In other words, <laughs> you have sinned and you have messed up your life big time. Now just lie in it. You blundered. You have sinned. You have fallen. There is no way back. There is no hope for you. You've made your bed. Well, just lie in it. But I'm glad that there is one. There is one whom the Bible calls full of grace and truth, who said not to lie in your bed that you've made, but he said your sins are forgiven you. Now get up, take up your bed and walk. Amen. Glory to God. You see, sin tells us we've made a bed and all we have to do now is just lie in it. But grace comes along and says, you don't have to lie in that bed of sin because you can be forgiven and then you can get up and take up your bed and walk to the glory of God. And this is why Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul never forgot where he came from. I've said this before I originally came from Ballyclare. It was country area, East Antrim. And they had a saying there, never forget the bowl you were baked in. In other words, never get too big for your boots, in other words. 
And Paul never forgot the bowl that he was baked in, never forgot the pit from whence he was dug, as the Bible puts it. And so as he says, I am today what I am only by the grace of God. And then he also said that God's grace is sufficient. It's more than enough. The writer to the Hebrews, that many assumes is the Apostle Paul, be that as it may, the writer of the Hebrews said, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Peter too, he loved the grace of God because he also was very conscious of his failure. I don't know if anybody failed more spectacularly than Peter did. And publicly too. He was absolutely humiliated. Swore undying loyalty and love to the Master. And at the first hurdle he fell and he denied that even he ever knew the man. And so no wonder Peter calls when 1 Peter 5 and 10 the God of all grace. <laughs> and in 1 Peter 4 10 he speaks of the manifold grace of God. The many-sided, the multi-layered. As I often say, if you hold a cut diamond up to the light and you turn it, you'll see it's many sides, it's many facets. And Peter says that's what grace is like. It's multifaceted, it's many-layered. There's a side. Richard DeHaan said he has justifying grace for all believers. Illuminating grace for every seeker. Comforting grace for the bereaved. Strengthening grace for the weak. Sanctifying grace for the unholy. Living grace for the pilgrim. And dying grace for the end of the journey. It's many-sided. It's manifold. And how many of us even since we have come to know Christ as Savior, has been touched by God's grace again and again. Something we did, something we should have done, and we needed the grace of God to cover us. And we found that His grace was sufficient. We find a side to His grace that perhaps we never knew before. It's inexhaustible. Somebody said that there are three stages to God's grace. There's the initial stage by which we are saved. We just read that scripture a moment ago. For by grace are you saved through faith. Then, of course, there are the riches of His grace after we're saved. Ephesians 1, 7 and 9 says, Wherein God is abounded towards us in all wisdom, making known to us the mystery of His will and giving us His grace by which we are sanctified. Sanctified. As we walk with Christ every day, we're being sanctified by the grace of God. And it's a wonderful thing. This is the riches of His grace that we experience and we find out more and more each day we live upon this earth. Thank God for His grace. 
But then, of course, there, thirdly, there's the exceeding riches of His grace, Ephesians 2 and 7. It's almost as if Paul is running out of superlatives to describe the grace of God, <laughs> the riches of God's grace, the exceeding riches of God's grace. And, of course, that can only be revealed to us in the eternal ages whenever we will be completely glorified. Isn't it an interesting and wonderful thought to think that God has got so much grace that it's going to take all of eternity for Him to exhaust it upon us? All of eternity. In the great eternal ages, God's grace will still go on. See, grace is just not for sin. We make a mistake if we think grace is just for sin. We have a tendency to see, to see grace as passive rather than active, as negatively rather than positively, as pardoning rather than empowering and enabling in relation to our sins rather than in relation to our service. Now let's face it, whenever we think of grace, we almost immediately subconsciously equate that with sin. We have sinned, therefore God has given us grace to be forgiven. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And it is true in relationship to sin. But we never hardly ever think of grace in relationship to service, to serving God. God enables us to serve Him through grace. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. If we're ever going to serve God effectively and truly, it can only be by His grace. Again, Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of of God. I'm the least deserving. I'm the chief of sinners. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And this grace, he says, was effective in me. He wasn't scared to say that either. I serve him by grace. And every one of you who are a believer in Christ, whatever way you're serving the Lord, through your witness, through your testimony, through your lifestyle, it is by the grace of God. Grace enables us to grow. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an environment to grow in. If you go to B&Q and you go to the garden section, a place that I rarely frequent, I might add. <laughs> but if you go there and you're in the habit of maybe growing tomatoes or certain plants, you have things called grow bags. Isn't that right? And all the nutrients and the soil and the peat, it's all mixed up, and it's in one bag, and all you've got to do is slit that thing open, put that seed in, water it, and the stuff will grow out of the bag. How easy is that? Even I could do that. Not that I want to, but even I could do that. <laughs> See, I don't want to give my wife any false ideas. I want to build up her hopes that I'm going to start gardening all of a sudden. I think she knows me well enough, but now. But anyway, uh, Peter says that we're to grow in grace. That's the environment in which we grow best, is in the grace of God, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace enables us to live godly lives, 2 Corinthians 1.12. 
For her boasting is this, the testimony of her conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So in other words, Paul is saying here that his lifestyle is by the grace of God. It's not by worldly wisdom. You know, the Apostle Paul was a very clever man. He was an academic. He was a man who was highly trained in theological matters. Sat at the feet of one of the greatest rabbis of his day. And whenever he gets saved, he says, I count all that as nothing that I might win Christ. And all the things in his life that he could have used uh, as his lifestyle, he laid aside and he says, I'm living my life now by the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. I live how I live by the grace of God. Not with fleshly wisdom, not because of what I knew or what I know, but because of who he is in me living through me. Grace enables us to deny the wrong and embrace the right. Uh, Paul writing to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. See what grace does? It doesn't just bring something to you or give you something. It enables you to do something. Enables to do what? Enables us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts so that we can live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. When the temptations come, and they come frequently, then grace can help us to deny that so that we can live soberly, righteously in the Lord. And so grace is something that enables, something that helps us. Grace enables us to give, for instance. 2 Corinthians 8, 6 and 7. Paul writing to the Corinthians. Uh, they had promised an offering to help poor Christians. And they're a bit slack in bringing it to pass. And he writes to them and reminds them and said, we're coming for it, so be ready when we get there. And then he says, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Notice the term he uses for the practical act even of giving. He calls it a grace. Now let's be honest. We rarely ever think of giving as an act of grace. We purely see it as something practical and simple. We've been doing it so long now since we became believers that we never hardly even think about it. Uh, when the offering baskets come past, we put our tithes or offerings in. End of story. Thank God we can do that. Wonderful. But you ever stop and think, Paul says this is a grace. This is a grace. 
And it's particularly a grace, and you particularly sense it'll be a grace if it's a real sacrifice. If there comes those times when you don't have much to put in, you don't have much to give away from yourself to a worldly, a worthy cause, a just cause, then it becomes a sacrifice. Then you might begin to feel something of, hey, this is just not so easy to do right now because i got so many needs. That's when you need the grace. It's a grace to be able to do this. Paul says that you excel in everything. You abound in everything. But he says, make sure that you abound in this grace also. True giving is a spiritual thing. It's of the heart. Now, there's a difference between scriptural giving and spiritual giving. You say, well, what do you mean, David? Well, you can give scripturally. In other words, according to the scriptures. You read the Bible, you know you ought to give, and so you give according to what the scriptures say. But that's different than spiritual giving. Spiritual giving is giving of the heart. It's giving with grace. It's giving because you really, really want to give, not just because the Bible says you ought to do it, because I really want to do this. I see that it's the right thing to do, but I'm not just doing it because of that. I'm doing it because I want to do this. My heart is in this. And that is spiritual giving. To give it from your heart, seeing it as an act of grace. And that really pleases the Lord, doesn't it? Do you remember the little woman who gave her mite? She gave all that she had. It wasn't much, but it was a lot to her. It was all that she had. I'm not sure that any of us ever, ever given all that we had. I'm not sure that any of us has ever been down to the place where we have been the last penny we had on earth and we gave it. But that little woman did, and the Lord singled her out to commend her for that. That was true spiritual giving. The very last verse of the Bible in Revelation 22, verse 21, the very last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, we read it earlier, says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Us, we. What a difference between us and the Old Testament men and women. We can actually come into the very presence of Almighty God Himself and come to that throne of grace. In the Old Testament, to come into God's presence, to come into that place where His presence dwelt in the tabernacle, only the high priest, only one time in a year could do that. And it was a very elaborate process to be able to do that. And a very dangerous thing to, be, to do that, actually. Could have cost him his very life if he didn't do it the right way. And yet here are we, 
because of God's grace, we can come right into Almighty God's very presence. And he says that we can do it boldly. Not irreverently, but boldly. It means with confidence. With courage. Not being afraid in a cowering sense. You know, when that high priest went in once a year, I'm sure his heart was beating fast because if he didn't do it right and he wasn't right first and make his sacrifice, he was a dead man. And he knew that. And everybody knew that. But we can come not in a cowering way, but with confidence, with cheer. The Amplified says, Let us fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. Jesus, when he prayed, the disciples were so taken by how he prayed that they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now these are men that was taught to pray from their little boys at their mother's knee. These are men that heard every day of their lives the scribes and the Pharisees praying in the marketplaces in the open air for a pretense, for a show. That didn't impress them at all. There's something the way Jesus prayed that impressed them. Lord, teach us to pray. Because he was so familiar, not in a bad sense, but in a wonderful, intimate sense, so familiar with his father that he called him Abba. Of course, the Jew in the Old Testament recognized God as father of their nation and father of creation. But father in a personal, intimate way, close enough to call him Abba, which is our equivalent of daddy or papa. Well, that was... <laughs> That was entirely different in our experience. And the disciples saw that within Christ and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to be that intimate and personal that we have a relationship with Almighty God that is that personal. Let us come. Who can come? Us. How can we come? Boldly. Where can we come? To the throne of grace. Christ fulfilled all of the Old Testament offices, prophet, priest, and king. And so whenever we come to him, we come to him as a king. The songwriter says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power is such that none can ever ask too much. Imagine being able to come to a king and ask whatever you will. Well, that's what the throne of grace is like. In Exodus 25, it is foreshadowed by the Ark of the Testimony with the golden lid on top with the two golden cherubim that was carved on top of the lid, looking downwards where the blood was sprinkled. That in the Old Testament was a throne of grace. And Christ, the Bible says, has become our propitiation for our sins, our atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
one translation actually says, our mercy seat for our sins. And so it is a throne of mercy. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of compassion. It's a place to go. When? Let us come when? In time of need. If your pipes spring a leak, you get a plumber. If your lights start flashing, you get an electrician. Hmm? If your car plays up, you go to a mechanic. And if you start to break down spiritually, where do you go? You go to the throne of grace. Because that's your time of need, isn't it? When you don't know what to do, and it's your time of need, you go to the throne of grace. When you're looking direction and guidance from the Lord, what do you do? It's your time of need. You go to the throne of grace. Let us come. Why? For two things, it says. To obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Somebody says that mercy means that God doesn't give us what we do deserve and grace means that God gives us what we don't deserve. Aren't you glad for that? And so here we are at the throne of grace. You can see why Paul loved grace. You can see why Peter loved it. You can see why the New Testament Christians loved the grace of God. Close with this. Annie Johnson Flint wrote these beautiful words. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. <clears throat> to added afflictions, he addeth his mercies. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known to man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Beautiful words, aren't they? And so today, the grace of God is available to you and to me and to every human being on the face of the earth. Thank God we have tasted of His grace. Thank God He's been good. Eh? Thank God for His forgiveness. Thank God for His enabling. Thank God for His strength. Thank God for His grace. It's wonderful. So we're going to pray. Just in these closing moments of our service. I don't know if any of you has ever stood at the Niagara Falls. See that water pouring over millions of liters. 
Don't know how long that's been doing that. Perhaps thousands, thousands and thousands of years. It seems inexhaustible. Do you think if you put out a little cup, filled your cup out of Niagara, do you think Niagara would be depleted? Do you think it would dry up and stop flowing? I don't think so. There's more than enough for all of our cups. Today you may need some of that grace and mercy. And if you reach out today to Him, He'll fill your cup with grace. Fill it full to overflowing. Can forgive you all of your sins. Wipe the slate completely and utterly clean. Imagine every sin that you ever committed in your life can be wiped out in a second by the grace of God. Need some added strength today? Put your cup out. Let God fill it. Remember that little song, Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Lord, we thank you that right now we can reach out and receive your mercy. Fill our cups with grace. Lord, all of us need forgiven for something today. All of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Forgive us, Lord. Make us clean. Or let us start this new year with a clean sheet, a new beginning, a brand new start. Take control of our lives. <clears throat> Fill us full of your Holy Spirit. And as we follow after you, Lord, bless us with your grace. We need it every single day. We give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.